Welcome to another episode of the Replant Bootcamp Podcast, the Boots on the Ground podcast for replanters by replanters with your host, Bob Bickford and Jimbo Stewart. Here in the trenches with you doing the gritty and glorious work of replanting dying churches. This podcast is sponsored by 180 Digital, the church website and branding partner you need to help move your church forward. Here we are back at the boot camp, back at it again. Another episode of the Replant Boot Camp here with your host, Bob Bickford and Jimbo Stewart. Jimbo, I'm not in the gritty trench today, but I am in the sweaty Midwest. Oh man, yeah. Yeah, we're we're hitting I'm, I'm I am getting hydrated up. Yeah. Trip, Trip and I have a all-day disc golf tournament the day after we record this. Sweet. And the heat index is I think like 105 tomorrow. Mm-hmm. So, I'm just I'm trying to like pre pre-game hydrate today. So, I don't have I don't have my normal small like I have like a full Nalgene bottle over here. This is like my third Nalgene bottle of the day trying to to pregame. I saw that. I was wondering if you were getting ready to have a colonoscopy or something because you were you're drinking, man. You're just drinking and drinking and drinking. So yeah, man. I I was kind of wondering, but my dog Daisy Pup, when she got sick and dehydrated, they shot a bunch of fluid in the back of her back, and so she had like this camel hump. Maybe you should try that, and you wouldn't have to drink so much. <laughs> <laughs> just install it in the back of my back, like a, yeah. I mean, they, they have Camelback backpacks. I could, I mean, get no, no, no. It's, that's that's too just, much. It's like just surgically makes you sweaty under the pits. Just yeah. get a big syringe and just pump your pump the space between your shoulders full of fluid. Yeah, and then over time, your body will absorb it. And I mean, for for a few minutes or a few holes, you would look like the hunchback of Notre Dame. Yeah. But yeah, I think I think I'll let you test drive that and then, <laughs> and then let me know how it goes. And if it goes well, then maybe I'll consider it. Well, I'm not going outside unless the house is on fire or the dogs <laughs> really have to get outside. So that's yeah. I'm, I'm staying in. It's supposed to cool off to 87 tonight. And that's going to happen around 9.30 or 10.30. I might go out then. Yeah. But tomorrow, tomorrow we're in the uh, 80s to... Low, low to high 80s, and it's going to feel like winter, and we're going to embrace it. Yeah. Man, so this is going to come out right after the Replant Summit has finished. So you, you've made it home, and you're chilling, you're hanging out, and hopefully it's a little less hot, so maybe it started to cool down where you're at, and you're, you're jumping back into the boot camp. We're glad to have you with us. What I want to talk about today, Bob, is maybe one of the on most consistent struggles in church life, but especially in normative sized churches, revitalizations, replants, but it seems to be true in almost every church is recruiting volunteers. Like it's one of the most consistent, difficult challenges. Like I don't know that I've ever encountered a church that was like, man, we just have too many people volunteering. Like we, (laughs) (laughs) like we don't even know where to put them like they're just everywhere yeah and so there's always the issue with man we need more people to help serve in various areas yeah i mean that's true i in the normative sized church you 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 struggle to have greeters you struggle struggle to have children's workers oftentimes you see your spouse filling the gaps Sometimes you struggle to have musicians and folks to run sound. And it just, man, the, the worst time for a pastor's phone to ring Jimbo is Sunday morning mm. or any time after 8 p.m. on Saturday night. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You, you just know somebody's calling you to either tell you you got a hospital situation or they're not going to be able to volunteer tomorrow. 
Yeah. Yeah, it's tough, man. And so what I want to do is, is today just give a couple of tips for recruiting volunteers and kind of creating a culture where it's easier to get people to volunteer to things. The first thing is I think you have to start with the why behind what you're asking them to do. The what is really easy, right? We need two people to be greeters. We need two people in the nursery. We need whatever. The how can is usually even, you know, maybe not as easy as the what to figure out, but a little bit, hey, I need you to do this. I need you to, here's how you do that. But the the why often gets overlooked and we don't communicate it. So what do we communicate? We stand up in front of the congregation on Sunday morning. We, we're, we've been singing a song and all of a sudden we get up for our 15 minutes of announcements and we say, hey, just so you guys know, we really need two more people to serve in the, the preschool area. So come see me or go see Linda if, if you want to do that. Right? And that's all we communicate is, hey, we need this. And it's just the what. Here's what we need. I've heard it said a lot of different ways. I've heard so I've heard it said, I don't remember where. Don't say we need, talk about there's an opportunity. And that's kind of a step closer to the idea. But what I'm trying to get behind, Bob, is is like what if instead of, hey, we need two preschool workers, you say something like, Man, we are so excited that we have kids in this church. And we also know that for for moms that are taking care of kids and dads all week. Man, on Sunday morning, it's kind of a breath of fresh air to, to the, especially the littlest ones, to let somebody else invest in them and pour into them uh, while they get to sit and, and be a part of the service. And so we're looking for two people that want to help us bless children. And, you know, it doesn't have to be exactly that. But what I'm trying to get to is like, if we can just, if you got to communicate the why before just the what, Hey, we need two people to do this, but like, what, what's, what's the point? What, what are we trying to really accomplish? Sure. Let me make a run at it. Like you're, you're, you might be up there and you're thinking, we know that children learn best in a particular kind of environment. And so we want to provide that environment for them. So that's a little bit of a technical thought, but the why behind that is God loves kids and Jesus made them a priority in in fact, the, the people around him and the culture around him did not value children like he valued children. And so one of the things that we see in the scriptures is it's important to value kids. So, hey, church family, we want to be obedient disciples. We want to be like Jesus, and we want to provide excellent environment for environments for kids to learn about Jesus. And we're building a team that provides a clear, a beautiful environment for kids to be excited and loved and welcomed encouraged and equipped to understand that God loves them. And so we're excited to extend an opportunity for you to come join that team and make a difference in the kid's life. And you know what? Some of these kids don't have grandparents that are close by, and some of you don't have grandkids that are close either. And this is a great opportunity for the church to be the church, to be intergenerational. And we're inviting you to make a difference in the life of kids. So go see Linda. Right. Yeah, no, I love that. It's, I mean, we we got to get behind just the what and, and communicate the why. When I think, Bob, when people understand the why, they grasp the broader context, the purpose, which can give them a passion and commitment. I think there are at least three things that getting behind the why also help us do. One, it conveys the purpose. So mm-hmm. when you clarif- when you clarify the why, you answer questions about the importance of the task at hand. So what's the point? Why does it matter? Yeah. And by addressing these questions, you provide a compelling reason for volunteers to get involved. The why becomes the driving force behind their t- participation, not just the what, not just filling a hole. And in that, 
here's the second thing I think it does is it inspires them to have some ownership in it. Like they recognize that they're part of something and the why, the why behind it empowers volunteers to take ownership of their roles. And so Mm -hmm. when, when people comprehend the impact of what they're doing, they're more likely to continue to be invested, proactive, fulfilling their responsibilities. But here's the third thing it does. I think it builds community. So sharing the why fosters a sense of community and camaraderie amongst volunteers, and they understand that they're part of something that's greater than themselves, forging stronger connections and fostering a shared sense of purpose. And ultimately, that creates a culture where people like being volunteers. And when you create a culture where people like being volunteers, it's much easier to recruit volunteers. Yeah, absolutely. I, You know, Jimbo, I, I think... Little kids ask the why question all the time. They just want to know the reason behind, the reason behind, the reason behind. And, and so I think that there's a natural instinct in everybody to to say that, you know, why? I think sometimes there's there's also a why that, that I don't want to get us off on a tangent, but the why of why don't we have enough volunteers, hmm. right? Well, it's probably because you haven't been communicating the why, yeah. right? Yeah. That feels yeah. like a little circular like that feels a circular kind of a comment, but people respond to vision and mission and people want to make a difference with their lives. So I love that. That's the first point. Yeah. So they want to be a part of something. I think, again, continuing on the idea of creating a, a culture where people enjoy being volunteers, I think you have to recognize that you have to invest in volunteers. And part of that, you have to invest in it because when you got to recognize volunteers aren't just free labor. They're the lifeblood of church revitalization. We have talked so much on this podcast and we'll continue to talk about Ephesians 4, 11 through 16 and how when each part plays its role properly, the church will build itself up in love. Romans chapter 12, the body. I mean, you could go, I mean, I could, you know, I could talk about this for hours. And this, I mean, this really is the lifeblood of a healthy church is a good volunteer system. People fulfilling the roles that God has given them. And so when we acknowledge this and recognize that, one, we're not paying them, which means their motivations are different than paid staff. And so we've got to recognize that, but don't just go, don't just delegate and dump and go, right. okay, well, they're volunteering, they're doing it great, it's taken care of. I think you got to, I think you've got to invest in your volunteers in at least three ways. I'm going to list these out and then I want to hear your feedback on them, Bob. Good. One, I think we got to invest in a, with resources. Just like you invest in your staff, you need to allocate resources for volunteers' growth. You need to provide opportunities for them to expand their skills and knowledge through books and workshops and conferences and training programs. I mean, a well-equipped volunteer is one that feels appreciated and loved and empowered. Second, you got to invest your time and your support. Again, you can't just delegate and, and dump you, and just go, all right, well, it's done. Good volunteers require your time and your support. So regularly check in, offer guidance, be available to address their concerns, build relationships with them. That's a big part of this. It fosters loyalty and a sense of value. This is where I'd take you back. We had uh, Bob Bumgarner on at one point talking about situational leadership. So you can kind of understand Mm -hmm. where they're at in that point and what kind of development you need to put. And then lastly, you invest in them by celebrating them and recognizing what they're doing. Celebrate volunteers' achievements, both the big ones and the small ones. Publicly acknowledge their efforts, like say it out loud in the service, in your gatherings or through social media. And when you did it, when you do that, you you help them feel appreciated and motivated. And man, I used to love coming up like really fun, creative ways to to do this. And so we would at least once a year 
have volunteer banquets where, you know, where we would serve them and I would bring in other people from other churches even to help me. And I would find a sister church and be like, can some of your people come help me serve our volunteers so that my volunteers aren't serving? And we did a whole night where it was like Italian food themed night. I wore a whole chef outfit. I made my associate pastor <laughs> shave his beard, dye his mustache black so he could look like a like we did. All, we did. We went all out. And so I, I mean, just have fun and enjoy each other and celebrate each other. But you've got to yeah. invest in your volunteers. Yeah. So, I mean, you can scale on this from, you know, the normative size church that doesn't have a lot of resources to the mega church that has a, a truckload. Right. So. I think the big point here is that you're conveying is give them what they need to do their work well. And if that's curriculum or that's technology or whatever it is, like resource them so that they can do their job, put them in an air conditioned room for goodness sake, Mm. you know, remove the dangerous toys, have the exterminator come to kill the roaches and, you know, all that stuff. So they're not kids areas that are dangerous Man, just take time to occasionally ask them how they're doing and then celebrate them in whatever way you can. And, you know, I've done everything from a a dinner to like a dinner and a, like a comedian and a concert Mm -hmm. or just a note with a journal or a bag of coffee or finding out what their favorite thing is. Yeah. Particularly in the normative size church, we're talking about there's a handful of people who are serving typically, and there's some things that you can do. And then the thing I would also say, Jimbo, is build this into the budget, build this into the budget or find one of those funds that you just haven't used in years and years and years. And then talk to whoever you have to talk to, finance committee, trustees, deacons, and just say, guys, let's use this fund to to celebrate and reward our volunteers and recognize them in, in ways that will help them feel thanked and valued. And I love the idea of celebrating volunteers. You could do that even by simply public recognition. Jimbo, I think there's there's nothing more valuable than public recognition and affirmation. And most people never get that their entire lives. Yeah. And you don't have to throw a big banquet or give everybody iPads or something like that. (laughs) Just a kind, a kind word of affirmation to them and recognition, I think fills people's hearts and they'll remember it. And while you're doing it, say the same thing in a card and hand it to them so that after you've said it publicly, they can keep that with them. Cause most of us keep those, those encouraging affirmative notes that people write us. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I mean, especially in this day and age, a handwritten note has a, a lot of power. And I mean, I was I, even going back for a second on the invest in them in like training opportunities. That may not sound like fun, but I'm going to tell you, nothing says to a volunteer, hey, what you do is really important. Like saying, hey, I want to invest in that. I want to pour into you. And so, you know, maybe conferences and stuff like that aren't, you know, something you can pull off, but here's what you can do you can call your state convention or your local association and you can say, hey, do you have somebody or can you recommend somebody within our network of churches that could come speak to our children's ministry workers? And encourage them and and empower them. And so I would do this all the time at Redemption and have people from different churches and from the association come and talk with our youth ministry or talk with our children's ministry volunteers or our security. I mean, every area. And and look, don't don't forget those areas like security ministry or things that you're mm-hmm. not thinking about. The guys in the parking lot or I mean, you have no idea how important it is to some some people to be able to serve in the way that they get to serve and be a blessing. And so invest in that as much as you can build relationships. This is such an opportunity to build relationships. One of the things I've talked about a lot of times is service opportunities are a really great way to do what I call ninja discipleship, where 
you disciple people without them knowing they're being discipled. Mm-hmm. You know, here we have a lot of blue collar guys that are never going to join a group of guys sitting around at a coffee shop and o- opening their Bible and talking about how the Bible made them feel that week. That sounds like the worst possible thing you could ever ask them to do. <laughs> and so, but I can, I could call them and right now and say, Hey, I've got four toilets overflowing. The air conditioner's not working and this room needs to be painted. And they would like with joy go, Hey, let's fix it. Let's run up there. Let's do this. <laughs> right. It sounds like, it sounds like the youth group had a lock-in at Taco Bell, Jimbo. <laughs> <laughs> Toilet's overflowing. <laughs> the air conditioner stopped working, and the room now needs to be painted. Yeah. I don't know if you noticed how you strung all that together, but that that was gold, man. That was gold. <laughs> but I mean, you call you call a blue collar guy and you ask him, "Hey, come help me fix these things. Show me how to fix this. Show me how to do this." They will do that ten times more likely than they'll ever sit down and have a conversation with you on purpose about the Bible, their faith, their feelings. But this, I mean, you start to build these relationships and it's just a phenomenal opportunity to disciple people. And that's where, I mean, I would always encourage our volunteers that led teams of volunteers, like, look, use this as an opportunity to build relationships with the people that are on your team. Not just, you don't just, don't just utilize them to accomplish tasks. Like you've got to, you got to go into the relational aspect of this thing because that's part, I mean, it's part of what being the body is. It's not just getting things done. It's the relationships that we have with each other. hundred percent. I think the, this might be a whole episode on its own is if you're building relationships, you've got to think about how to ask good questions, mm-hmm. right? So you know, the real super spiritual among us can may, can ask a question that maybe came from like Richard Foster or Dallas Willard, like, how is your soul, right? Well, <laughs> the guy wearing overalls may not know how to answer that, right? Yeah. But if you go, man, how's it going at home? Like, how's your kids? How's your family? How, how, how's your wife? Or, hey, what's, what's so challenging about being in your stage of life right now? How are your aging parents? Or, you know, what, what do you... Uh, what do you hope for yourself here in the next two or three years? Right. Just, you're just asking questions and what will happen is kind of that. And particularly, I think you've highlighted the fact that guys have a hard time talking about what's going on with them. And and even too, Jimbo, I think some ladies do too, because guys just don't talk sometimes about what's going on with them. Mm-hmm. And then ladies feel the pressure to be perfect. Mm-hmm. And so <clears throat> if you just ask really good questions in a while you're doing something, and I've always heard this, that if you want to get to know a dude, like go do something side by side, shoulder to shoulder, watch a baseball game, play frisbee golf, play golf, chop wood, build a fence, you know, and that through that time, side by side, non face to face, you're going to get some deep conversations. So do that with your volunteers. Yeah. And maybe several of them. And, and cause sometimes you have a, you have a, a really key volunteer. That's just a an incredible introvert and doesn't have a conversation. And and if you toss them the conversational football, they never toss it. They just hold on to it. And you're like, this is the most awkward conversation. And so you need that extra person in there to kind of spice things up a little bit, but just think about it, be intentional about it, but do it. Yeah. Just do it. I think one of the things you can do that eventually, as you start to build a relationship with somebody like that, to break the ice that I've done is usually people will answer the people that go to church will answer the question, Hey, how can I pray for you with, you know, and they'll get into some things. But then what I like to do eventually, not the first time is, you know, every time I talk to him, Hey man, how can I pray for you right now? Mm-hmm. But then eventually what I'll do, you know, Hey Bob, how can I pray for you? You tell me how I can pray for you. And then I look at you and I go, Hey Bob, could you pray for me? Here's some things going on. And, you know, we've got this and, you know, my sister's health and 
you know, trips, learning how to drive and about to be on his own with that. And, and I, and I start to just open up to you about some things and, and just say, Hey, would you commit to, you know, I, you know, we've been meeting regularly and I've been praying for you. Would you just return the favor and commit to pray for me in that? And mm-hmm. here's, here's why I do that. One, I want to show them vulnerability that I'm a human being, not just like them, not, you know, pastors aren't superhuman or they're not super spiritual. Mm-hmm. But then two, it's a pretty high possibility. They don't pray like, yeah. and so now I've given them something that's not about them, about me, a way they can serve me by praying for me. And I found they're more likely in that scenario to actually start praying some and just begin that process. And you never know where that might go. Here's one of the other things I want to say. We had talked, we started this whole conversation talking about, you know, the announcements and starting with the why. Here's what I, I just want to throw a caveat and a challenge. Understand the announcements are probably the least effective place to recruit mm-hmm. volunteers. We think we're doing good because it's efficient and everybody hears us. I promise you, no one hears you. Like <laughs> I can remember so many times I, you know, I would announce things 5,000 times in ways and my wife would be like, so when is that thing? Or like, <laughs> and I'd be like, golly, we've tweeted yeah. it, we've text messaged it. We've emailed it. We have put it in the bulletin. We've announced it on every Sunday morning for the last six weeks. Like, how do you not know? And so people are not listening to you when you're doing the announcements most times. Mm-hmm. But when you when you can talk to somebody and you can explain to them, hey, here's why, give them the why, and then go, here's what I've noticed. I've noticed you're really patient with kids and you're really sweet with kids. Mm-hmm. Would you be willing to at least once a month come in there and just use that gift that God has given you to help yeah. us? And you know, like and, and you you start to get to again, relationships, you got to get to know people in order to know what they're good at. And as you get to know people and you start to identify and see, you know, I've noticed what you're really good at. And, you know, what's good is we have an opportunity for you to do that for the good of the body. And so, you know, and then you explain the why, why that ministry is important. And you ask directly. That's like asking, if you ask five people one-on-one every Sunday, that'll give you a hundredfold better response than putting in the announcements every day for a year. Yeah, we fall into the trap of relying on the bulletin and the announcements or the PowerPoint or the Facebook or something. And most of the time, people are still talking while the announcements are going on because they want to say hi to each other. Mm -hmm. There are some folks who, like my wife, she reads the newsletter, she reads the bulletin, like she just knows what's going on, right? Me, because I'm kind of a visionary relational guy. I kind of have a general idea that we're doing something, but then I'll say, now, when is that thing? And so I think you have to think about the communication patterns and styles of people and be very careful with your announcements. But I I think if you, like you've been saying through this whole, whole podcast so far, when you tie it to vision and mission and values and you answer the why, and then you join that to the specific announcement about whatever it is that you're asking people to do, if it's volunteering, it's likely to have little more impact, a little more impact, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And, and to help them understand, oh, okay, now this is it. And then if you clearly say, now these are these heard some great things, and this is a great re- opportunity. Here's what you do next, right? Everybody, take out your bulletin, right? Everybody, grab your phone. We're going to text. You know, the, you know, some of you're interested. Like, just give them a practical next step, but ask the whole congregation to do it, right? At the same time, mm-hmm. that way people don't feel like they're responding alone, but they respond. They might be responding together. Try some of those things and see if they make a difference. And then call us up or, or write us a note and let us know if they work or not. 
That's excellent. Hey, last thing I want to say is if you enjoyed the Replant Summit or and you want more, or if you missed the Replant Summit, you've got another chance to catch me and Bob together with El Jefe, Mark Clifton, <laughs> and some special guest, Richard Blackaby. You may have heard of that guy before. Joe Kreider, who we've had on the podcast. Frank Lewis, who we've had on the podcast. We have the Revive Summit coming up in Birmingham, September 12th and 13th. Registration is free. And so if you go to churchreplanters.com, scroll down to until you see events, you'll see the information there. Revive Summit, two days, September 12th and 13th. It's really good time together with me and Bob and Mark and Richard and Frank and Joe. It's Man, if you, if you enjoyed the Replant Summit, this is a little different vibe, a little different deal, and I think it'll be encouraging to you. If you missed the Replant Summit and you're really sad because you wanted to come hang out with Bob and I in person, this is another opportunity for you. Come and see us. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Replant Bootcamp Podcast, a resource for replanters by replanters. If you enjoyed this episode or found it to be helpful for you and your ministry, please help us get the word out by subscribing, sharing, and leaving us a review on your favorite podcast listening platform. This podcast is sponsored by 180 Digital. 180 Digital is a team of design, development, and marketing experts that love working with churches big and small. Check out 180.church, O-N-E-E-I-G-H-T-Y.church to learn more about how 180 can help your church move forward.